0: In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, please be seated. Many of you tonight know a little bit about what my life has been like for the last couple of weeks, and several ask if I were going to go ahead and preach in light of Molitor's so recent death. The truth is, at least in part, I'm here because of him because he loved Calvary so much, because he loved me and this pulpit so much. I knew he'd want me to do it, and I was frankly afraid that he might chastise me if I didn't. (laughs) Increasingly convinced as I am of how thin the space is between here and there. Monitor was embarrassingly to me proud of me, and he never allowed himself to be shackled by the confinement of truth in expressing how and why he was so proud, over and over again across the floor at a gathering, I would hear him tell people that I was the rector of the largest church in the country. (laughs) That is patently untrue. And yet it was his story, and no matter how off I corrected it, he never abandoned it for once. I chose to interpret that as affection and not some essential untruthfulness about Him. So it's with His Spirit at my back and with the comfort of a community of faith which has become my own, one of His last and greatest gifts to me, this place, that I'm here tonight. This year, being no exception and no doubt even more poignantly fraught than others, I always approach Lent with some hesitation if not outright trepidation. At least since the fourth century and to some less embellished degree as early as the second century in the life of Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, the church has recognized the need of a time of reflection and penitence as it approaches the Paschal Mystery. Modeling the days upon Jesus' time in the wilderness, It was the best of intentions. And yet, it is a season that is almost inherently rife with the possibility of well-intended, but often sadly unsatisfying piety. Darkness becoming more motif than pathway to the dazzling light that we know is in fact the love of God. Back to Molitor one more time. At some point every year in Lent, he would say to me, you people take this Lent stuff a little too seriously for my taste. (laughs) You people, as though he were other. A side note, though, Waffle Shop at Calvary, I must say, mitigated for him and for me the heaviness of the season. Or perhaps I should say it brought a different kind of heaviness to me. (laughs) A little fish pudding, a dollop of homemade mayonnaise mixed with a touch of penitence, followed by a strawberry schramm tort, goes down easy every time. <laughs> but in all seriousness, something about this day, Ash Wednesday, speaks profoundly of and I think to our souls. What it is exactly, I'm not sure but I saw it, whatever it is, in macro-manifestation during my years at St. Bart's. From 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. on rotating shifts, we priests stood at the crossing of the church to administer ashes, saying, sometimes as many as 2,000 times, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. It is by far the most overtly religious day in New York City. Thousands came year after year, searching, seeking, hoping, repenting. Because I loved the early morning so much, I often took the first shift, and at seven sharp, they would start the trek down that long center aisle. A good number, even at that hour, were very chic, looking as though they were headed to a magazine shoot. More though with hard hats, ready, I would imagine, to engage all kinds of dangerous tasks throughout the day. One year, I remember specifically, a dowager came straight from central casting, leading a black standard poodle whose majestic and coiffed head, the poodle's head, I would not have dared put something as mortal as ashes on. Happily, she only looked by with sort of disinterest as I reminded her owner of her mortality. A few wore earphones still in, presumably silenced, but who can say for sure? More than a few trudged forward, sadly bent and laden with bags, metaphorical and otherwise, some smiling as though I had come to pronounce to them to, have a nice day, rather than to assure them of their mortal roots and where they were headed. All of them, though, like us, I believe, coming, bringing what each one has in his or her search for God, coming to admit and to be reminded that in the end, there is nothing between us and God. We return to that from which we've come, Both places, creation and eternity, profoundly inhabited by God. And if they they, and if only we really get that one day a year on Ash Wednesday, then so be it. Better one than none. Life is the process, simple and magnificent, between our beginning and our ending when we search for God. Lent with its purple hues reminds us of that journey, calling us at its deepest level to remember our thirst for God. As a deer longs for flowing strings, so my soul longs for you, O God. This was the cry of the psalmist, and it's ours as well. And there's nothing more true or profound about each one of us than that fact that we do indeed thirst for God. We are thirsting for God when we recognize that that's what we're doing. And sometimes I think even more profoundly when we really think that we're thirsting for something else. It is God for whom we seek. So is Lent inherently sad and ponderous? I, I, I think... Yes, in a way it is, but not with silly or pretend solemnity. Remember Matthew's counsel that our deepest piety is always private. We should remember that when we leave here in a little while with black stuff smeared on our foreheads. But for sure, however publicly or privately we must be, an honest examination or experience of Lent requires the rough and tumble of examining our own lives. Such honesty crashes us to our knees. So it is, I believe, about some guilt, about some regret. It will certainly feel like that in a few moments when we confess our pride, hypocrisy, impatience, self-indulgent appetites in ways, intemperate love of worldly goods, negligence in worship, our prejudice, waste, and pollution, and that's just the start of what we're going to confess. So, yes, that's part of it. But this part of it, this part where we look honestly and with some guilt and some regret, is primarily the part that is about us, much more than it is about God. Listen to me. My friends, in my heart of hearts, I know this to be true. And I don't know much else. No matter how firmly entrenched in our consciousness as a culture and as a church, it is not true that God takes names and keeps lists. We do that. God does not. God calls us to repent, not to make us more lovable to God, That is the nature of God. God loves us. God calls us to change our ways to repent so that we can more fully, joyfully, and faithfully live as God's own cherished people. I am convinced that God loves a contrite heart, but it's not for the sake of contrition. It is for our sake. God uses contrition as a brief passageway to amendment of life, we used to call it, so that the substitute for joy that often has become the place where we live can be replaced with the genuine peace and joy that God wants us to inhabit. If Lent can be observed with honest assessment of our lives, But within the reflection of what we know and hope to be true about God's grace, then we really can have a holy Lent. The solemnity of our music, our lack of flowers, our pensive colics, all of that are designed to slow us down, to give us space and less clutter for thinking and feeling, for loving and being loved, for praying with hope and acceptance, And yes, for crying out in pain and loss and regret. But at its core, there's nothing grim about this season because it resides in hope. In fact, the Anglo-Saxon word, as you all well know for Lent, means spring, a time of growth and renewal, of promise and goodness, of nurture. So in these 40 days, be pensive. Be thoughtful. Pray till you drop if you want to. Just don't be miserable. The God we seek to know is a God of mercy, not of misery. In the name of God, amen.